Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Let's go in our Bibles together, Philippians chapter 1. This amazing letter from the Apostle Paul written to the church at Philippi. He regards himself and Timothy along with him as servants. And we looked at that and then he called the saints in Christ Jesus there at Philippi. These are believers. These are part of the Philippian church. He, he knows exactly who he's writing to. And, and then we took a Sunday and we looked at biblical overseers, the oversight in the church through elders, through shepherds, through bishops, all an interchangeable term for the office of pastor, which is synonymous for shepherd. We looked last Sunday at this biblical office in the church of deacons and how they serve as assistance to the overseers in caring for the flock of God. And, and this absolutely flies in the face of corporate structure. This is family structure. I think we've all been through enough. If you've been in Christ long enough, you've been through church life, you've seen the way things should be, and then you've seen at times the way things should never be in the family of God. Because we're still, though we're saints, we're still struggling, and we still have self-centeredness, and we still have strong desires and opinions. But the Word of God recalibrates our thinking. It recalibrates the trajectory of our lives when we allow it to. When we submit ourselves to Scripture and we do not think ourselves to be above Scripture. So Paul writes, and today we will, God willing, close the introduction, but I want you to be so, so impressed with the reality that Paul does not waste any words. You ever struggle at writing an email or a letter and you just don't know how to get going? You just have to get to the communication, but... Do I say dear? Do I say hello? Do I say, like you just go through. Paul is not wasting any words and there's no fluff in his letter. There's no filler. So he writes, inspired by the Spirit of God, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with, overse with the overseers and deacons, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. Paul greeted the Philippians with a message of grace and a message of peace. All of these messages have been in a kind of a sub-series about church planting. Church planting 101. The church was planted there and loved ones... Where he comes to in this verse 2, this, this greeting, this salutation, it's no small thing that he says. Because a church cannot be healthy without the gospel. And the gospel isn't just a, a road bump that we cross in life and then, yeah, I, I prayed the prayer, I did the thing, now on with my life. We are saved by the gospel and we live in the gospel. We're sustained by the gospel. When, we, when we're around the throne of Christ, we'll be impressed with one thing and one thing only. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that his grace was greater than my sin. What a fitting song to sing before this. His salutation was centered upon the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, fasten your seatbelts, but you're about to hear the greatest message ever given. You're welcome. And it's not the messenger, it's the message. And I've heard it said this way, I, can pre you know, I may not be able to preach the greatest message, but there is no greater message to be preached. And that's this one. We'll have some fun with that in our small groups. There's a question you'll enjoy, all right? Why? Why is this the greatest news ever given? 
So I'm making a statement. I'm telling, I'm saying the gospel is the greatest news, the greatest message ever known to humanity. And we are blessed that someone told us the gospel. What is the gospel? And I I put the little periods in there that God, that God, it all begins with God and it's all going to God. That God created all things and he created us in his image to know him, to enjoy him, to glorify him. And something happened in Genesis 3 and it's, oh, it's our sin. It separated us from this holy God and we were booted out of the garden and there was a barrier between life and death because we disobeyed. And contrary to what most religions will teach and practice today, sins cannot be removed by doing good deeds. It cannot be removed by taking of communion, by joining a church, by being baptized, by giving a great sum of money. God will never be indebted to us, loved ones. Sins cannot be removed by doing good deeds. So then we're in a real problem. P, paying the price for my sin, for our sin. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second member of the triune God. He came to earth, born of a virgin. He took on himself. He sunk himself into our flesh, Luther said. He was incarnated. He was the Word made flesh. And he lived the life that you and I could never live. Perfect, sinless. He fulfilled the law of God in every way. And then he was betrayed and he was crucified and he forgave and he laid down his life and he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And he, three days later, he rose to life again. And he lives forever and ever so that he, any, everyone who turns from their sin and trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ alone will be given L, life that never ends. This is the gospel. Why is this the greatest message ever given? Does this make your heart beat a little faster? Does this put you in awe and make you almost want to say, come on, Ethan, lead the song again. Let's sing it again. My sin was great. But his love was greater. This is the gospel. This gospel is a message about salvation. And you can can fill that in in your blanks here. This message is all about salvation. That's why Paul went to Philippi. That's why he went in Acts 16, because he had a message of salvation. And the word grace is a summary of the gospel. This is all about salvation. It's all about the grace of God. This is an unusual greeting for the first century. Paul adjusted the customary greeting of the first century. They would commonly say, greetings, Kyrene, greetings, you know, hello. If you're down south, howdy, you know. Montana, where I grew up, howdy, partner. Okay, but he was not content to stay with a normal greeting. The Jewish greeting would be peace or the Hebrew shalom. Maybe you know someone named Irene. It comes from the Greek. Peace. He was intentional with every part of this letter. Listen to what G. Walter Hansen says. He says, grace is Paul's adaption of the greetings at the beginning of Greek letters of his day. Peace echoes the common Jewish greeting, shalom, So Paul's combination of the Greek and Jewish greetings reflects the intersection of Greek and Jewish cultures in Paul's expression. So with his very hello in the letter, he's taking Jews and Gentiles and marrying them in the the cross of Christ, in the church of Christ, through the gospel. That those lines are just obliterated. And he's saying, we share something in common. This was an unusual greeting for the first century, But for Paul, it was a typical greeting. It was a usual greeting. This is how he usually opened his letters. Grace to you. I was reminded this week when we studied through Ruth in the Old Testament. Remember Boaz, Ruth chapter 2? Boaz shows up in the field in the morning. And what does he say? The Lord be with you. And all of his men working in the field, the Lord bless you. You know, that's an unusual way. It's very different than good morning. I mean, just think about it. If you show up at wherever you work tomorrow and somebody walks in, the Lord bless you. The Lord be with you. What are we doing here? This is amazing, you know? 
Say that when you greet the kids as they come into your classroom or on your school board. The Lord bless you. What? What's happening here? That is exactly what what Ruth experienced when she walked into that field and she received the protection that Boaz gave and said, you don't touch any of these young ladies in the field. If they're not your wife, they're not yours. And especially keep your hands off that one over there, that relative of Naomi. Most of his letters, Romans, both letters to the Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, both letters to the Thessalonians and Philemon, Paul opened with grace to you. Grace to you. Like, can we just let that soak in for just a moment? Hell was coming to you, and justly. Death was coming to you, and it's justified. And in steps Jesus, grace to you. This, this is life into the courtroom. This is sunlight into the dark prison chamber. This is hope in Christ. To Timothy, Paul would say in both letters, grace, mercy, and peace, a little variation. When he wrote to Titus, he said grace and peace, a little variation. But Paul's life abounded in grace. But for Christians, this greeting is meaningful because Paul says not just hello, not just grace, but grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He takes this to the fullest extent he possibly can because grace is at the very heart of the Christian message, the Christian gospel. So what is so amazing? What is so meaningful about grace? Maybe you've heard it this way in an acronym, grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. It's a helpful way to understand what grace is. It's the riches of God, all that he has in Christ, and he gives to us, but he gives it to us because someone else, salvation isn't free. It's freely offered because someone paid your debt. Someone paid what was coming for you, and it was Jesus. If you'll turn from your sin and receive that gift, this is God's riches at Christ's expense. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Paul says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he, be, he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now think about that verse just for a moment because aren't we impressed when you hear of somebody who is wealthy and they're in a checkout line or they're somewhere and they see someone and they're impoverished and they take from the excess that they have and they bless them and they don't have to. I see some of these times with Shaquille O'Neal and others and he'll find a, a young person and he'll speak to them and he'll take them and he'll purchase something for them and he'll encourage them, but he still has plenty left. Do you hear what Jesus did for us? He emptied himself so that we could become rich in Christ. Ralph P. Martin says it this way. He says, grace is the free, spontaneous, unmerited love of God to sinful humanity. Free, spontaneous, unmerited love of God to sinners sinful humanity, making its appearance in history and reaching its consummate expression in the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We're never going to finish singing about grace. I will never feel bad about our church becoming Grace Community Church. If someone has a problem about any one of those words, well, you know, I just had too much grace in my life. Listen, I don't know what planet you're on. Let's talk to your spouse for just a moment, okay? Let's talk to your children. Talk to your parents. Yeah, way too much grace. What I need is some more law, more wrecking ball coming my way. That's what I need. Romans 3, here's where this verse 24 is tucked in. Verse 23 for all have sinned, that's us, every last one, and fallen short of the glory of God. We've missed the mark. We're not holy. 
Verse 24, and Paul says, and are justified by his grace as a gift. You starting to think of giving gifts to others during the holidays that are coming, Christmas season? This is the greatest gift ever given. Justified by his grace is a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. Galatians says at the appointed time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That he is not guilty of being a dishonest judge because he just simply passed over an offense. The offense must be paid for. And when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Another way to say that, paid in full. You want that? Letter to come from your bank this week? Paid in full. What? Who did that? It's a gift. Grace. God's unmerited favor towards sinners and saints. Divine grace transforms sinners into saints. That's what Paul's been dealing with here in this introduction that the grace of God salvages sinners and then sends them out on mission. You hear that? The grace of God salvages sinners and then sends them out as saints on mission. It's not just salvage to sit. The old preacher, sit, soak, and sour. That's what happens when we just sit and we get more knowledge and more messages and more and more. We drink and we become the pond that we talked about a few weeks ago. No, no, we are salvaged from hell and we're called saints and we're sent on mission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Genuine root in Christ will obviously produce good fruit. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, familiar verses 8, 9, and 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, just in case anyone's confused. Well, do you know what I did? Uh, You know who my parents are? You know what we've done? I'm a charter member. I'm this, I'm that. No, no, all by grace, not your own doing. It is the gift of God, verse nine, and not a result of works so that no one may boast. Oh, and wouldn't we boast if it was, we purchased it, we earned it, we did, didn't do. Oh, we would talk about ourselves for all eternity. Uh, Heaven will not be earth on steroids. That's what people do down here. They boast, they brag, they post, look at me, look at what I've done, look at what I have. Heaven, worthy is the lamb who was slain. He accomplished it all. But why then are we saved? Am I just making a claim that I can't support that you are salvaged from the, from the wreckage and you are sent on mission? Am I just making that up? Well, verse 10 says, I'm right. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Saved for a reason. Not saved by good works, but saved for good works. Prepositions are important, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This should be our lifestyle. After coming to faith in Christ, our walk of life should be, Matthew 5, 16 is coming out in us. Good works, let your light shine. Titus chapter three, love this section. Verse three, for we ourselves, we were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days, or you might say wasting our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Isn't that a wonderful resume? If you're in Christ, that's you before you came to know Christ. Timeline's important. This isn't a, yeah, I was hoping that we could find, could you find somebody to work for me that's foolish, disobedient, led astray, a slave to passions and pleasures, just wasting their life in malice and envy and just, they're just characterized by hate. I'm looking to hire that person tomorrow if possible. And God sent his son for those kind of people, us. That's why grace is important. 
But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Notice this isn't a shared endeavor. Well, I did like 10%, he did 90. No, baloney. He did 100% of the saving. That's what scripture says. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Can I just pause for that? There are those who are constantly chasing, chasing like a second blessing. Uh, Lord, we, I want more of your spirit. You don't get more of his spirit. We can walk in obedience more to the Spirit, walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the Lord, but there's no more Spirit coming to believers. He poured it out lavishly in your, in your salvation. He gave you His entire Spirit to indwell you, and this is the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, so we have victory over sin. It's a matter of, am I walking in obedience or am I walking in disobedience? Verse 7, so that, here's the purpose clause, being justified by His, what's the word? grace. We might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Do you see what his grace did? His grace brought us in, but not to the front yard. Stay out of my house. I took you off the street. Stay out back. Need a place for the Christ child to be born? Not in here, but I have a place out back. You can stay in the stable. Scoot over the animals. That's not the grace of God. He pulls us all the way in and makes us joint heirs with Christ. Verse 8, this saying or the gospel is trustworthy. And Titus, I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves Oh, man, wise really is right. Do you hear what Paul told Titus? For the people who think it's enough for me to come and to sit and to just learn more and not put my hand into the work of the kingdom. Titus, I want you to insist on these things. I want you to press this conversation. I want you to preach this. I want you to herald this and everyone will give account to the Lord of glory one day that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to the good works. These things are excellent and profitable. I just about put those two words together as one. For people, people inside the church, outside of the church, when the church functions like that, Titus, you're gonna be able to find some elders there on Crete to appoint them to the work and finish the task. Amen. Salvation is the message of the gospel. It's a message of salvation. Number two, this message, the gospel message, greatest message ever given is for sinners and saints. It's for sinners and saints. It's not just for sinners and it's not just for saints. Grace to you. That's what Paul said when he walked into Philippi. Grace to you. He found Lydia and the ladies there on the side of the riverbanks. He later on you know, the, the slave girl set her free, met the Philippian jailer and his family. Grace to you. Are you mad at me? I locked you up. I was pretty cruel to you. No, grace to you. Grace to you. This is for you. The grace of God, loved ones, is powerful. It's absolutely powerful, transforming sinners into saints. Taking enemies of God and transforming them into sons and daughters. This is the message that changed Paul, who used to be Saul of the tribe of Benjamin. He used to focus on all the things that he had done and not done. But when he came to faith in Christ, this is what he said when he wrote to the Galatians chapter 1, verse 23. They only were hearing it said about Saul of Tarsus. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Okay, the follow-up question to that is, what happened to that guy? What changed him? He used to chase us down, arrest us, lock us up, kill us. He was there when Stephen died as the first martyr. What happened to him? Do you know this is still true today? 
And it's been true for 2,000 years, people saying, what changed that person? What changed that family? What changed those people? Why are they different? Why, why is there something distinctly generous and gracious and kind about them? On the tombstone of John Newton, John Newton, former slave trader, captain at sea, I encourage you to get his biographies, you know, read, read them. Amazing. He came to faith in Christ and he was changed. He became an influence in William Wilberforce's life. It led to the end of the slave trade. One guy influenced another guy and they changed the course of human history. Just let that sink in a little bit. This is a no-hoper. This is a guy that's beyond, humanly speaking, beyond all hope. There's no way that that guy who regards those from Africa as baggage under the ship, who's going to pray for that guy? I would venture to say that some did. And the Lord answered their prayer. This is his tombstone. This is how he wanted to be remembered. This, I share this often at funerals because people are often with amazing grace and they have no idea of the punch that's in the lyrics of amazing grace and who wrote it. This is what he wanted forever to be remembered. This is the epitaph. John Newton, clerk. Okay, he, was, he worked in a church. He was in ministry. Clerk. Once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa. Do you hear that humility? Do you hear that he came alert and awake to the transgression, the sin, the horrible sin that he had been involved in and made his livelihood in? And now he says, let me tell you, I want for all people in all time to understand who I am. I'm a servant to them. Servant of slaves in Africa, what happened to him was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. Didn't that sound like Galatians 1.23? Because the apostle Paul resonated with him. When he read that Galatians, he said, that sounds like me. God's grace changed him. God's grace has changed me. There's nothing good about me and I want for everybody to know. And later on in life, when John Newton began to lose his memory and struggle with his, his cognitive abilities, he said, I, I, I'm getting old. I am losing my memory, but I remember these two things. And this is what he said. I'm a great sinner, but I have a great savior. I remember that, who I was and who he is to me. I wonder, can you say that? Now do you understand when he wrote those lyrics, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Oh, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind. That's why he explained why he did what he did. That's what explains why people do what they do. Now think about this in the political season that we're in and you can't stand people on the other side. Would you really be that upset with a blind person? If they are spiritually blind, they can't help it. They can't see. And that's what he says. But now I see. But now I see his grace was greater than my sin. Amazing grace. God's grace is powerful, but God's grace is personal. And Paul is reminding them of the impact that the gospel, the grace of God had upon their lives in Philippi, that they were declared righteous, that they were made saints, that the divine grace of God is sufficient for you. So Paul had to grow in his understanding of the sufficiency of God's grace for every season and every situation. And loved ones, in this little, little introduction, two verses, he's actually given us a snippet of what's to come in this letter. 
Because he's going to write about joy, and he's going to write about not being anxious and being afraid and having fear in any situation, but to have this peace, the peace of God that passes all understanding. And as Paul would write this, as a human being, even as a saint, he didn't have a full knowledge as soon as he came to faith in Christ. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul also writing. And he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord, verse 8, about this, that this, and he talks about a thorn in the flesh should leave me. Okay, so is anyone here and you've been praying for something that is very difficult in your life and you want it to be gone? Whatever that is. Here Paul is saying, the Apostle Paul, so this is where we have great issue with the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel uh, preachers, so-called. Because they're saying, if your prayer isn't getting answered, it's your fault. They would never say God can't do it. They put it on you. And by no means would they ever say that they're deficient as a healer or in prophetic word or in all these things. So where do they lay, lay the blame? On you. You don't have enough faith. You didn't give enough money. And you don't believe me? In Africa, this is a real deal that people come into areas and they wait for people to come with an envelope and as soon as they give the envelope filled with cash, then that person will pray over them. Those men discussed, as I just listened to them discuss, they said, we could have filled this church if we would have put your picture out in the community and in the region and said, a man, white American will come, faith healer, prophecy, and this place would have been filled and overflowing, and people would have come bringing money. And what they do is they wait until the money's given, and then that person will pray over them, and then they send them away, and you say, well, what happens if they're not healed? What happens if something good doesn't happen? It's their fault. They didn't give enough money. They didn't have enough faith. It's not their fault. Look at the car they drive. Look at the clothes they wear. It's not their fault. They're doing just fine on the backs of broken and suffering people. That is not the gospel, and that is not Christianity in truth. Does that make sense? Listen to Paul. He said, I prayed three times. But, verse 9, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's a long-form no. You've asked me three times, Paul, the great apostle Paul. What, you think he needed more faith? And the Lord said, no. No, I'm not gonna remove that thorn in the flesh. There's a lot of debate on what the thorn in the flesh is. Messenger of Satan, he says. But here's what I'll give to you, Paul. I'll give you my power. And you know where my power is made perfect? It's when you come to the place when you say, I can't do it. Do you know where the power of God is made perfect and experienced in our lives and expressed? It's when we get to the place where we say, I I can't do it. God, I need your help. And I'll be content with whatever the answer is. And if my suffering isn't gone, I'm going to praise you in the storm. And if, if... Fill in the blank. I'm looking at a room filled with people. No doubt there is as many different areas that you are struggling with right now. The last thing that you need to hear is that God is removed from you, doesn't care, doesn't love you, can't do anything about your situation. Paul didn't say I was wrong to pray. He was saying when he learned the answer to his prayer, he was good with having God. He was good with having Christ. He's enough. And that's what he says. Therefore... I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Why, Paul? For when I am weak, read it with me, then I am strong. When I am weak and I fall on Christ, then I'm strong. When I am weak and I go to Christ, then I'm strong. Let me tell you, when I'm weak and I gather with my brothers and sisters in Christ here in community or in small group community, that's where the strength of God takes root in my life because I'm not alone. 
I'm part of a family. This message is for sinners and saints. This message is a message, greatest message ever given. You're hearing it today because it brings right standing. It brings right standing. And Paul says, grace to you and peace. Peace. This is a right standing. This is something's down, something's fallen over, something's wrecked, and someone comes along and they put it back the way it should be. Restoration. Have you, have you seen the destruction that happened in the path of the hurricanes through Florida? And what's needed? There have to be crews come in and take it. It's all ruined. It's all destroyed. It's all damaged. And they want it to, they need people. If that's your house, I need someone to come help me and put it back in its right order. And most people can't do that on their own unless you own your own construction business. Most people, they need help. I can't go back in my house until it's made right again. This is what he's saying. It brings a right standing. It brings peace with God. That's what God's grace brings. That enemies are now reconciled through the cross of Christ. We're given peace with God. To quote Ralph P. Martin again, he says it this way, peace is the fruit of such gracious activity in the experience of sinners. And its main characteristic is reconciliation to God through Christ. Brings a right standing. This is peace with God. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Stephen Lawson says it this way. He says, the relationship between grace and peace is important. There is no peace until there first is grace. And there is no grace or peace outside of knowing him. Let that sink in, loved ones. There is no grace and there is no peace outside of knowing Christ. So as we pray for our loved ones who are suffering, as we pray for our community, as we pray for our nation, as we pray for our world, what then are we to pray for? That they come to know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That they hear and submit to this message, the greatest message ever given. It's freely offered because Christ paid the fine, the debt. This is peace inside self. Now, Paul, when, he, when he's writing to these believers, he's not primarily speaking of, there is peace with God now, but he's going somewhere with this. He's writing to a church, and we're coming to it. There's some squabbles happening in the church. There's some difficulty people are dealing with inside of self. And this divine peace of God surpasses all understanding in every possible situation for every follower of Christ. Do we know what's coming this week in our lives? Could I be so bold as to say that the peace of God can sustain you through whatever phone call comes this week, and for me too? as well? Yes. Because it's not my word, it's God's word. And that's what Paul is writing to them. I want you to know this peace inside self, that things are right. That things are in the right order. They're in the right place. Philippians 4, 7, we'll get to this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The apostle Peter, he understood this. He was transformed by grace. He experienced the peace of God. 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Make your Facebook posts with gentleness and respect. This is a response that people are actually saying, how are you facing this most difficult situation and you're doing so with hope, with, with there's a contentedness here. There's a hope in you. Where is that most seen? It's when we suffer, loved ones. It's not when everything is going well. Stock market's up, economy is up, everything's good. Everybody's rejoicing when everything is falling apart and we are still through tears at times praising Christ, 
than people in the hospital and in the doctor's office and where you work and where you live say, hang on a second, can I ask you a question? How are you seeming to be okay right now when you have just gone through a great difficulty? And loved ones, the answer is never, will I? He. It's Christ. He's given me hope. Well, why did he give you hope? Well, I didn't deserve it. He's gracious. He's merciful. What do you mean? Explain it. Tell him. That's what Peter's saying. And that happens when Christ is put in first place. But not just a peace inside self, but a peace also with others. That we as believers, we're not peace fakers, okay? Well, I don't want to upset anybody, so I'm not going to say anything. That's peace faking. We're not peace breakers. Hey, I just tell it like it is. If you can't handle it, then that's your fault. It's on you because I just keep it real. No, that's peace breakers. But we are called to be, by Christ, our Lord, our Master, our Teacher, peacemakers, Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You can almost do this backwards. Sons of God will be peacemakers because that's what people will see. Oh, they must be sons of God. Because God has made peace with man through, cro- through the cross, through Christ, and so they must belong to Christ. They are doing what God does. They're making peace. Paul, he'll get to it. There's a couple of ladies in the church. You know, ladies, you don't ever disagree with anyone, do you? Well, there's a couple. They got their names mentioned in Scripture. Ooh, called you down. Now, just put yourself in Philippi. The letter's being read. Everyone's composed. Everybody's there, and they're just reading through the scroll, reading through the letter. And Philippians 4, verse 2, I entreat Yodia. Now, put yourself in her shoes. What? And Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Dun, dun, dun. You know, everybody's looking at these two ladies like, whoa, y'all got to work this out. There's a problem here. And Paul's heard about your squabble. And he says, verse 3, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names, hey, hey Yodia and Syntyche, you know what your names are in the book of life with mine? Do you hear the humility and the love in Paul and he's appealing to these women? He is not throwing the apostle, you know, Thor hammer at them to destroy them in front of everybody. At the same time, he's saying, this, is, this isn't okay. This isn't all right. And we're not going to fake this peace anymore. And we're not going to play along with these games anymore of division and contention in the church. Ladies, you need to work it out. Hey, everybody else and my fellow companion there, maybe that's the, one of the elders or pastors, help them to work it out. part of the same family. So how about we act like it? It's also number four from a divine source. Paul says, from God our Father. So here he's grounding the gospel in this triune Godhead. This gospel, this grace is provided by the Father, accomplished by the Son, and applied through the Holy Spirit from a divine source. There is only one true and living God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is the creator and the sustainer of everyone and everything. He reigns over all. That means everyone and everything. Yeah, we had an election this week. Guess what? Psalm 99 is still true. The Lord reigns. They aren't counting his votes either. I love S.M. Lockridge, and he's not going to be impeached ever. He reigns. He doesn't need an election. He reigns. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. This is our God. He reigns. He delights in redemption. 
Micah 7, verse 18. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in hesed. Steadfast love. Do you hear the character of God there? Do you hear that when Paul wrote to the ladies? He wasn't flexing unnecessarily for them. He loves them. Where does that love come from? Right there. This God delights in steadfast love. He's looking to pardon iniquity, pardon sinners. He loves to pardon sinners. Thieves on the cross. One saying, you don't deserve to be here. The other one saying, give me my life back and maybe we'll make a deal. I shouldn't be here. I, 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 blah, 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 cursing him, joining him with the crowd. And this guy says, have you no fear of God? We deserve to be here. He admitted his sin. Have you admitted your sin? You're trying to whitewash everything? Well, I'm not that bad. I'm better than them. I, I, I try. We deserve to be here. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. If you have a kingdom, what are you? A king. He got it right. He understood and did, did the Lord Jesus manifest, manifest the delight in pardoning? He sure did. Today you'll be with me in paradise. He had time for one thing, repent and believe, and that's what he did. And it is enough. Have you followed in that example? Have you repented of your sin? You. I'm not talking to your neighbor. I'm not talking to the person behind you. I'm talking to you. Have you repented of your sin? Have you owned your sin before the Lord? Have you trusted in Lord Jesus Christ? It's the only place where life is found. Romans 2, verse 4, Paul writes, Are you, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing, I love this, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are, and I believe this about our nation, founded upon biblical principles. We are not a Christian nation. We have never been a Christian nation. There isn't a Christian nation. There are Christians, followers of Christ. There isn't a nation that is Christian. You cannot make a nation Christian. We're con when, we, when you say that, you're confusing how do you become a Christian? Oh, be born here. No. Be a part of that church. No. Ad admit your sin. Turn from your sin. Trust in Jesus. Are there Christians in this nation? Yeah, there's Christians in almost every nation. Except some peoples haven't heard the gospel yet. So we're still on mission. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the, on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. But it's his kindness that leads you to repentance. Is it true that judgment is coming? Yes, absolutely. But are we reflecting the kindness of God when we talk with our the people that we live life with? Do they see the kindness of God in us? 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. So Paul said he's kind toward you. Peter says he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's kind, he's gracious, he's merciful. He is patient toward you. He's not weak. Well, people say, if I was God, then I, where was God when this happened, when that happened, when the other happened? Can we not see that God is slowly revealing his power through creation, through all types? And do people stop and take account of their lives and say, you know what? This life is short. I better get right with God. Not very often. Most of the time, they just buy the lie of the devil and say, if God was good, how would he let that happen to me? Did you see what he ordained to happen to his sinless son? Let that theology drive you and me when we face suffering. He's our Father in heaven. He's our Father in heaven. Jesus taught his disciples this marvelous truth. This is personal. He's my Father in heaven. None of us have a perfect Father. All of us fathers, we're not perfect, but we have a Father in heaven who's perfect, and we can go to him 
Matthew 6, 9, Jesus says, pray, like, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Romans 8, 15, Paul says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians 4, 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Toward the close of this letter, Paul will say, Philippians 4.22, God, our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. This letter is bookend. The bookends of this letter, Philippians, are grace. It's all made possible, number five, this message through a resurrected Savior. And here Paul uses the full title of deity for Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, the master and ruler over all. So in Philippi, people were used to hearing Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord, emperor worship, that outpost of a Roman colony, we're part, we're somebody, we're something because we are Roman soil right here and Caesar is Lord. Except now the believers are saying that Jesus is Lord. Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? Who is he? What happened to him? Where is he now? You're saying he is Lord? But let me ask you something. Where's Caesar now? Where are all the council members in Philippi that condemned Paul to be beaten and imprisoned? Where are they now? What name? What is their name? You don't even know their names. Where are the rulers of all previous generations? Where are all kings and queens, emperors, judges, governors, dictators, and go on down the line? Where are they now? And where is Jesus? Oh, he's the Lord. Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? We're coming to that in Philippians 2. Paul writes in Romans 10, verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So let me ask you personally, have you confessed Jesus personally? Lord, you're the master, not me. You're in charge, not me. Or do you think, I'm still in charge. I want to do, I want to go, I want to be. Or is it, Lord, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to be? It's radically different. He's Lord, he is Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus, said the angel. You name him Jesus, Savior, Savior to all who repent and trust in him alone. In John 14, in verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's one way. There's one Savior. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, this is Martha, after she's grieving because of the death of her brother, she says, he, he says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me, listen to me, Martha, listen to me, church, listen to me, every single person. If you believe in me, you'll never die. Do you believe this? That's the question. Have you put your full weight down on that message right there? And that message is the word made flesh. It's Jesus himself. Are you trusting in him? Do you believe this? Because then if you do, yes, we will grieve when our loved ones die. Yes, death is difficult when we face that dark, shadowy valley. But it's only the valley of the shadow of death. Death is turned into a defanged usher that simply takes us to the presence of the one who died for us and kicked the grave into hell, right? And he walked out. And everyone who trusts in him, we walk out of that grave into everlasting life. And so death is just what it is. It's not the end of us. It's the usher into the presence of God and all the saints that have found him to be faithful and not one ever disappointed. Have you believed in him? Do you believe this? He's Christ, Messiah, the anointed one. 
the one who came to live, to suffer, to die, to rise and ascend, and he's not done yet. He is coming again. He will return, and he will reign, and he will rule forever and ever and ever. You've heard the message Paul preached in Philippi 2,000 years ago. How have you responded to this message? Personally, and more specifically, how have you responded to the Lord Jesus Christ? For the Philippians, he's ours. And because he is ours, we have a Father in heaven. And we will suffer, but this message, this message is exactly what is needed. This message is all about salvation. This message is for sinners and saints. This message brings peace that is right standing. It's from a divine source and it's through a resurrected Savior. This, loved ones, is the greatest message, and it's not just for me, it's for all of us to share with everyone. It's that little QR code that people will scan. And that question is, what is the gospel? And have you believed the gospel? Do you know the gospel? What about you? In this very moment right now. You know, when we, when we sing after a sermon, do you know what that is? It's an opportunity to respond. It's an opportunity to respond in worship corporately. So you've been sitting, you've been listening, and, and you're participating in the message. But when we sing, that's not the time that we just shift gears and start thinking of other things. That's when we respond corporately in worship, and then we are asking the question, Lord, how have I responded to your gospel? How have I responded to that? How should I respond to that message? And if there were the two ladies in Philippi, they don't need to wait till Monday of the third month of the seventh moon to get it. They should have gone right then and said, let's talk. If there's something between a husband and wife, family member, if there's a loved one that you've been praying for and you haven't yet shared the gospel with them, a coworker, a friend, that's the time to respond. Lord, help me to whatever it is. Maybe you need to surrender your life to him. God, that thief on the cross, that's me and I give you my life today. Then tell us about that. Share with us. If you're online, there's a way you can share. I, I place my faith and trust in Jesus today. How can we help you grow? What's my next step to be baptized? How can I, how can I grow in a body of believers? What is your next step? We want to help you take that step. But don't, don't buy the lie of tomorrow, next week. No, today. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time and we respond Accordingly, will you stand with me? Let's pray together. Blessed Lord Jesus, no human mind could conceive or invent the gospel. Acting in eternal grace, Thou art both its messenger and its message, lived out on earth through infinite compassion, applying your life to insult, injury, and death that I might be redeemed, ransomed, freed. Blessed be thou, O Father, for contriving this way. Eternal thanks to you, O Lamb of God, for opening this way. Praise everlasting to thee, O Holy Spirit, for applying this way to my heart. Glorious Trinity, impress the gospel on my soul until its virtue diffuses every faculty. Let it be heard, acknowledged, professed, felt. Teach me to secure this mighty blessing. Help me to give up every darling lust, to submit heart and life to its command to have it in my will, controlling my affections, molding my understanding, to adhere strictly to the rules of true religion, not departing from them in any instance, nor for any advantage in order to escape evil, inconvenience, or danger. Take me to the cross to seek glory from its infamy.
Strip me of every pleasing pretense of righteousness by my own doings. O gracious Redeemer, I have neglected thee too long, often crucified thee, crucified thee afresh by by my impenitence, put thee to open shame. I thank thee for the patience that has borne with me so long and for the grace that now makes me willing to be thine. O unite me to thyself with inseparable bonds that nothing may ever draw me back from thee, my Lord and my Savior and my God. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.